the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Hello, and welcome to In the Word, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. We hope that God speaks to you today as we continue our study verse by verse, chapter by chapter, with Senior Pastor Will Ramirez in the book of Deuteronomy. Moses has been recounting God's faithfulness and mercy to the new generation of Israelites that would be entering into the land promised to them. Their parents and grandparents had rebelled against God, not trusting His provision and ability to save, nor His steadfast love. In total, they would not trust that God was able to do all of what He said He would do. Moses reminds the people of their past sin, but that God was still faithful in bringing them to this point where they would be entering into the land. Moses had shared how they had traveled away from Kadesh and around Edom. We join Pastor Will in Deuteronomy chapter 2, verse 13. Now, because God is keeping his promise to Moab, Israel had to go around them too. So verse 13, the Lord said, now rise up, said I, and I want you to get over the brook Zered. That is the southern, the river valley that marked the southern border of the nation of Moab. I want you to get over that brook. And so we went over the brook Zered. And the space in which we came from Kadesh Barnea until we came over that brook Zered. At that point, it was exactly 38 years later. Until all the generation of the men of war were wasted, they had died from among the host, as the Lord swore unto them. For indeed, the hand of the Lord was against them to destroy them from among the host until they were consumed. Because Israel sorrowed over what was lost but never repented, we talked about that last week, the Lord fulfilled his discipline unto them. Everyone besides Joshua and Caleb died during those 38 years. This is something we usually don't put on the fridge, but this shows that God's faithfulness extends to his warnings and to his judgments. God keeps every one of his promises, even the ones that aren't positive towards us. You know, in Galatians chapter 6, verses 7 and 8, again, we don't find this in the fridge very often, but it, it should be. It's a good reminder. In Galatians 6, verse 7, it says, do not be deceived. And anytime you see a, in the Bible, it says, don't be deceived. You can bet people are going to be tricked. They're going to think this. So he says, be not deceived. God isn't mocked. Nobody's laughing at God. For whatsoever a man sows, that shall he also reap. In other words, you know, nobody gets away with anything. Whatever a man sows, that shall he also reap. Very first pastor said, you can't lie down with dogs and expect to not get up with fleas. You can't sow to the flesh and pray for a crop failure. That's the truth of it. For he that sows to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption, things that rot, things that die. But he that sows to the spirit shall of the spirit reap life everlasting. It's a principle, which is reminder number four. God disciplines us when we rebel against him. You know, God gives us space to repent, but eventually the spanking comes. <laughs> you know, eventually the discipline comes. Eventually you get grounded. You know, if you've been testing God's mercy right now, please stop. He's been giving you time to repent. Use that time wisely by repenting. Don't use it as a license to continue to sin because eventually he's going to bust you. Bev has never hesitated for our kids. He's, Lord, bust them. I mean, that's always been the prayer. Always been, Lord, if they're doing anything they shouldn't be doing, bust them. I know how my brain works. My brain works. It's like, I'm, I'm doing okay. You know, you go a little bit further and you go a little bit further. 
Kind of like, you know, when you're out there and somebody dares you, hey, go step on the ice. You're like, okay, okay. Oh, my God, I'm good, I'm good. You're good until it cracks. You're good until you fall in. That's how it works. <laughs> if you ask somebody and you said to them, and said, hey, did you think you were going to get caught today? Oh, yeah, I woke up, knew I was going to get caught, did it anyway. Maybe, but I would say that's seldom the case. Most people think, well, just one more time, one more time. God disciplines us when we rebel against him. His grace and the time he gives us is not a license to sin. It's a time to repent. Now, once that judgment is complete and that generation's all died off, now the conquest could begin. So God starts the conquest outside of Canaan since that's where they are. But there is one other portion of land that they weren't allowed to conquer. Look at verse 16. So it came to pass when all the men of war were consumed and dead from among the people that the Lord spoke unto me, saying, you are to pass over through Ar, so all through the borders of Moab this day. I want you to pass through it and cross over north of the Arnon River, that was the northern border of Moab. And when you come nigh over against, the King James says, it just means near to facing the border, he says, of the children of Ammon. Do not distress them. Same words again. Don't meddle with them. Don't instigate a fight with them. For I will not give you of the land of the children of Ammon any possession. Why? Because I have given it unto the children of Lot for a possession. The Jabbok River marked the northern border of Moab. At this point in time, it was under the control of the Amorites and King Sihon. We'll get to him in a minute. But if you went further east, it would eventually turn south, and that river would form the western border of the people of Ammon. Now, as Israel is skirting the edge of Moab's border, so as not to threaten them, they would get very close to Ammon's border. And so God says, I don't want you starting a fight with them either. So they got a very narrow strip they got to come through. And why is that? Well, just as Lot had two daughters, one of them gave birth to a boy named Moab. The other daughter that he slept with gave birth to a boy named Ammon. And so his story is the same as the Moabites. So just like Moab, who had had an incestuous start and had an idolatrous future, the Ammonites did not worship the Lord at this time, God gave Ammon, again, unrecorded in Scripture, land because of his connection with Abraham. And God is keeping that promise too. But like Moab, there's more. Verse 20. That also, that land, was accounted a land of giants. Giants dwelt therein in old time. And the Ammonites called them, I love this, Zamzumims. You know what it actually means in the Hebrew? It means blarg. Yeah, that's what it means. There's no other way to say it. It just means blarg. You know? And it sounds like that, Zamzumims. It sounds like, ah, you know? It does not sound like someone you want to go up and fight. A people great and many and tall as the Anakims. Again, the comparison made to the ones they have to fight. The Anakims were the giants in the land of Canaan. But notice this, I love this. The Lord destroyed those giants before them, before the Ammonites. And they succeeded them and dwelt in their stead. Just as he did, the Lord, to the children of Esau, which dwelt in Seir. When he, the Lord, destroyed the Horims from before them. And they succeeded them and dwelt in their stead, even unto this day. That is fascinating to me. Moses credits God's supernatural help as the reason that these three cousins of Israel defeated the giants in the land God gave to them. Now, if God was helping these rebellious people defeat the giants, certainly God was strong enough to defeat the giants they faced in Canaan as they were submitted to him. They had nothing to fear. And then Moses brings up one more comparison, and this one blows me away. He said, and remember also the Avims, which dwelt in Hazarim, even unto Azah. The Kaftarims, which came forth out of Kaftor, they destroyed them and dwelt in their place. Now, this is an interesting mention, the Kaftarims, because those are the founders of the Philistine nation. These are pagans who had no association with the promise of God at all. 
And yet when they sailed in, they're a Phoenician people, when they sailed in and they attacked the west coast, the Mediterranean coast to the promised land, there were giants there along the Mediterranean coast and they defeated them. Now they didn't exterminate them entirely. They intermingled with them. And so giants remained in the land. And that's where Goliath comes from. He's a descendant of one of these Avims. He is a descendant of them and they worked hand in hand with them. He was one of their massive, mighty warriors. They thought to themselves, yeah, we beat these guys, but man, we could use them too. The Lord didn't help them. They did this on their own. They amalgamated with them. And then people say, why did David get five smooth stones from the brook? Because Goliath had four brothers. That's what the Bible says. He had brothers that that were out there. And so he figured, "I, I might not just have to take down one giant today. I might have to take down more. So why bring them up? Well, if a pagan people could defeat giants without God's help, then how much sure is their victory with God's help, right? Do you know that God is for you? You don't have to be afraid. Are you facing some giants right now? You know, what's keeping you from taking them on? Past failure? present feelings of unworthiness, fear. None of those disqualify you from trusting God right now. None of those things can keep you from trusting God right now if you'll just do it. So don't be afraid. Don't look at the past. Don't look at your worth. Face your giants. The Lord your God will fight for you. Amen? Through this short little window, avoiding Ammon there and Moab this way, Israel, the Lord sent Israel to a territory they could conquer. The land north of Moab and west of Ammon, land controlled by Amorite kings, verse 24. So the Lord said, rise up, take your journey, and pass over the river Arnon. Behold, I have given into your hand Sihon the Amorite, king of Heshbon, and his land. Begin to possess it and contend with him in battle. For this day will I begin to put the dread of you and the fear of you upon the nations that are under the whole of heaven who shall hear report of you and shall tremble and be in anguish because of you. The Amorites were the predominant Canaanite people in and around the promised land. They were the major tribal group. They were the largest group there, thousands upon thousands of soldiers. In Genesis chapter 3, let's turn there, Genesis 15. Let's turn there real quick. One of the reasons that God gave that land to Abraham is because the Canaanites were very wicked. And when God promises the land to Abram, in Genesis 15 verse 13, he explains... He says to Abram in a dream where he makes this covenant with him to give him the land. Know of a surety that your seed, your descendants, they'll be a stranger in a land that is not theirs and shall serve them. And they shall afflict them 400 years, Egypt. And also that nation whom they serve will I judge, Egypt. And afterward, they shall come out with great substance. That's exactly what happened in the book of Exodus. And you will go to your fathers in peace. Abram, you're not going to see this. You should be buried in a good old age. But in the fourth generation, they shall come back here, here to this land again. Why? I can't give you this land yet for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet full. God gave the Amorites 400 years to repent of their idolatry and wickedness. When we talk about the land of Canaan and we see the destruction, the, how Israel comes in and conquers them, they were a wicked people. You know, they they found in almost every home when they do excavations of Canaanite time periods, when they do excavations, they find in almost every home built into the wall of the home, the skeleton of a baby. Because that's what you would do. You would take a child, your child, and you would sacrifice it so that your home could be prosperous, your business could be prosperous. These were wicked people doing wicked things. And like a rabid animal, they had to be put down because it would spread if they didn't. So God gave them 400 years to repent, but they refused. So Israel would become God's instrument of judgment, and they would dispossess those people. And that judgment would start right here with Sihon's land. He says, this day, verse 25, I will begin to put the dread of you and the fear of you upon the nations that are under the whole of heaven. 
Their judgment, their putting that fear on them served two purposes. Number one, it was a last attempt to get people to repent. And you know, it worked with some. It worked with Rahab. Look at Joshua chapter two with me. When Israel goes to take the very first city of Jericho, they send two spies in. And they really aren't spies, they're evangelists is what they are. Because people get saved. That's the only good thing that happens for them going in. They don't really get any intel. But look at Joshua chapter two, verse nine. Rahab, you know, she says she offers to hide the spies because the king of Jericho hears that there are spies from Israel there and he sends his men up to kill them. And look at what she says in verse nine of chapter two to these two guys. And she said unto the men, she said unto the men, I know that the Lord has given you the land and that your terror has fallen upon us and that all the inhabitants of the land faint because of you. Everybody's terrified. We can't fight you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt and what you did unto the two kings of the Amorites and were, uh, that were on the other side of Jordan, Sihon and Og, whom you utterly destroyed. You wiped them out entirely. And as soon as we had heard these things, our hearts did melt. Neither did there remain any more courage in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, we realize he is a God in heaven above and in earth beneath. Now, if you realize that, why would you fight? <laughs> This was the talk of the town. Everybody knew that there's a real God fighting for these guys. Then why would you fight back? Why not just go, hey, peace flag. How about your God be our God too? We'll we'll change. What do we need to do? I promise you if they'd repented, God would have forgiven them. He wouldn't have sent Israel to be the instrument of judgment. You say, how do you know that, Will? Because look at her next request. Now, therefore, verse 12, I pray you. Swear unto me by the Lord, since I have showed you kindness, that you also show kindness in my father's house and give me a true token, and that you will save alive my father and my mother and my brethren and my sisters and all that they have and deliver our lives from death. I believe in the Lord God. I rescued you from the king. You know, I believe. I, I don't want to be sided with these guys anymore. And what did God do? We know he spared Rahab. You say, how do you know? Because when you read the line of Jesus, Rahab is in the line of Jesus. She was the mother, eventually the, the grandmother, I think, or great-grandmother of David. Isn't that cool? God used this pagan woman. God didn't hate Canaanites. He hated sin. He hated the destruction and pain that sin's causing. And when the people who knew that the living God was fighting for Israel, they knew it, and they still fought. That's not on God. That's on them. So the fear, the terror, the dread, the anguish, it served the function of that last effort to get the people to repent. And it worked with Rahab, worked with the Gibeonites. But the second reason that God put that fear upon them was to incapacitate the fighting spirit of those who continued to resist God. And according to Rahab, that worked too. And it would all begin here in Deuteronomy 2, where the command came to fight and defeat Sihon, king of Heshbon. Verse 26. So Moses said, I sent messengers out of the wilderness of Kedemoth, that's where they were, right on the border there, unto Sihon, king of Heshbon, with words of peace, saying, let me pass through your land. I will go along by the highway. I won't turn to the right hand or to the left. You can sell me meat for money that I may eat and give me water for money that I may drink. We're just passed through on our feet. And this was the same offer that was made to the children of Esau, which dwelt in Seir, and the Moabites, which dwelt in Ar, and We know that the king of Edom didn't do it, but we know that some of the towns around the Edomites, they did feed Israel. And we know the Moabites fed Israel too. Until I shall pass over Jordan into the land which our Lord our God gives unto us. In other words, we're not here to fight you. We're here to go through because God has given us that other land. So just let us go through and let us buy food for me. That's what these guys did. We didn't touch them. Just let us go through. Now you might be saying, wait a second, Will. Why is Moses sending this message of peace to Sihon if God told him to conquer this land? Was Moses being deceptive? Not at all. 
Yet again, God's mercy here. God was giving Sihon a last chance to repent. For Moses makes it clear that the reason they have to go through this, his land is because God is taking them to Canaan. And if they would submit to that plan, it would be the first step of repentance on their part. And anyone who repents can find forgiveness, even these guys. When God told Israel to wipe out every person in Canaan, sometimes they disobeyed and they left some alive because they were too hard in their mind to defeat. But they also obediently spared others who God said, wipe everybody out. But they obediently spared others like Rahab, like the Gibeonites, who left their idols and put their trust in the Lord. Do you know that God was ready to do that for every Canaanite, just as he's ready to do that for every person today? The idea that God sends anyone to hell is absurd. God doesn't send anyone to hell. People choose hell. God doesn't send anyone there. Verse 30, but even though he sent this message, Sihon, king of Heshbon, would not let us pass through him. For the Lord your God hardened his spirit and made his heart obstinate that he might deliver him into your hand as it appears this day. And the Lord said unto me, behold, I have begun to give Sihon and his land before you. Begin to possess it that you may inherit his land. You might be reading that and go, time out, Will. How is Sihon responsible for rebelling against God if God made him fight Israel? That'd be like me saying, the son comes to me and says, hey, dad, I know the rule is I can't have cookies after eight, but I was wondering if you could make an exception tonight. And I go, sure. And then when I see him with the cookie, I ground him for a week. Is that what's going on here? Not at all. That word there for hardened, it's a word that means to be dull or to refuse to respond. This is not the word that is used when Pharaoh hardens his own heart. This is a word that's used when God uses in response to Pharaoh's refusal to respond to God. The Bible says that Pharaoh hardened his own heart. And then God, this word, hardened his heart. Now, what's the difference between the two words? Well, one means to strengthen or reinforce. The other one means to rebel. Sihon, king of Heshbon, he rebelled. The Lord said, this is what I want you to do. Here's the offer of peace. And he said, "Uh uh-uh. And the Lord said, you know what? I've been dealing with your people for 400 years. This is what you want? You got it. It says he made his heart obstinate. The word there means he strengthened it. He reinforced his heart. When someone repeatedly refuses to respond to God, God eventually confirms their decision by solidifying what they want. This is the path you want? This is the path you've chosen? I've given you numerous opportunities to turn from it. Fine, it's all yours. The Bible talks about this in the book of Romans when it says, and so he gave them over to a reprobate heart, gave them over to a reprobate mind. He gave them over to uncleanness. Why does God do that? When we persist in sin over and over and over and over again, God finally says, fine, that's what you want, you got it. And he confirms our decision so we can rush headlong into danger. Now, what's the hope? The hope is as we rush headlong into danger and we find ourselves in trouble like the prodigal son, that we come to our senses and go, what am I doing? Now, if we don't do that and we persist in, I want this, God will confirm us even more so we get in even more trouble. God keeps trying to get us to bring us to our senses by allowing us to have what we want. Sometimes the worst thing that God can ever do for you is give you what you asked for because the Lord can undergird with his strength something that in our pride will destroy us. And that is the end game for any person who repeatedly refuses to yield to God. God will give you exactly what you want and you will end up with your own ruin So verse 32, then Sihon came out against us, he and all his people to fight at Jahaz. And the Lord our God delivered him before us and we smote him and his sons and all his people. We took all his cities at that time. We utterly destroyed the men and the women and the little ones of every city. We left none to remain. 
The word there, utterly destroyed, means there could take no spoils. There'd be no servants taken. There would be no nothing taken, spoils of war at all. It was all placed under a ban. You say, well, that's heavy. Why would God tell them to, to kill defenseless women and children? We already covered this in Numbers. But we must remember that every person judged by God is a defenseless person. I mean, nobody can stand up against God. When God brings judgment in eternity, he's not going to go, well, you know, it's really not fair for you to go up against me. Let me even the odds. Every person that stands up and defies God, in a sense, is a defenseless person. And when God brings judgment upon them, he is judging someone who cannot, cannot stop it, okay? So everyone in that sense, no one can stand up to him. The idea is repulsive to us because that's not God's heart. He doesn't want anyone to perish, but to all to come to repentance. But the reality of judgment is, is that those who refuse to repent will experience it. Would God have spared any woman and her children if she had repented? Surely. But there's no indication any Amorite under Sion's rule turned toward the Lord like Rahab did. And so they experienced judgment. And this is a reminder number five. No one escapes God's judgment. The only way to escape God's judgment is to come to Christ. Put your faith in the Lord. But you can't, nobody gets away with it. You know, what is it? The mobster, you know, was on his deathbed. Well, I don't remember which one it was. And the priest came to see him and he saw, oh no, it was not the priest. It was his top hitman came to see him and he saw, saw him reading the Bible. The priest had just left. And he goes, what are you doing, man? Reading the Bible? He goes, I'm looking for loopholes. <laughs> there are no loopholes. Nobody escapes the judgment of God. The Bible says you either fall on the rock and you're broken, which is good because you find forgiveness, or the rock falls on you and you're crushed with no, with no return. Now, every human being is called to repentance. You know, in John chapter 1, verse 9, it says that Jesus is lighting every man that comes into the world. And the way that language is worded, it's, it's, it's funny the way it's worded. It literally should read, and he is that light which is lighting every man the moment they come into the world and for the rest of their life. That's what God is doing. Jesus is bringing light. He is that true light that is bringing light to every human being from the moment they're born to the day they die. Jesus is lighting men's hearts with his reality and his truth from the moment they're born into this world. So don't harden your heart to that. Don't harden your heart. Respond to it. Now, verse 35, only we took the cattle for a prey unto ourselves and the spoil of the cities we took. So they started living in those cities. We covered that in numbers. From Aroer, which is by the brink of the river of Arnon, and from the city that is by the river, even unto Gilead, there was not one city too strong for us, for the Lord our God delivered all unto us. Only unto the land of the children of Ammon we didn't come. Remember, that was not allowed. Nor unto any place of the river Jabbok, nor unto the cities in the mountains, nor unto whatsoever the Lord our God forbade us. And I love that here. He says there was not one city that was too strong for us. Why bring this up? Well, remember, what are all the people who are sitting right there staring at across the river? He says here, there was no city that was too strong for us. And what are they looking at? The mighty city of Jericho with walls so wide, so thick that they would have chariots on top. How are they going to take that down? See, the people he's been speaking to can see those things. The very first city they must defeat right across the river. God gave them victory over the high-walled cities of the Amorites, so he'd surely give them victory over Jericho and every other walled city in Canaan. And that's reminder number six. God's past faithfulness is a guarantee of his present faithfulness. Think of where God's brought you to this place. 
The victory over Sihon and his walled cities wasn't the most difficult thing Israel faced up to this point. They're going to face a bunch more walled cities when they go in. They're going to face a bunch of giants when they go in. But God had repeatedly taken care of them over and over again. Nothing was too difficult for him. And that past faithfulness was a guarantee of his present faithfulness. They could rest in that. And so can we. Amen? Amen. Well, let's all stand and let's pray. Lord, we thank you for these beautiful reminders you give to us in your word. Lord, we don't necessarily have a big tall guy with a big army behind him, you know, staring us down. Maybe we do. (laughs) But Lord, we do have our own giants that are facing us right now. We do have our own walled cities. We do have those situations where it looks like we're outnumbered and there's no way we're going to be able to, to win. But Lord, giants are no problem for you. You are faithful to keep your promises even when we aren't. You always keep your promises, Lord. These beautiful reminders, these good reminders that you give to us, we don't want to forget them tonight. So Lord, as we leave and we sing a song of worship to you, we want this time to be where we take those reminders and we grab hold of them for ourselves and we say, Lord, right now we rest in that. We rest in the fact of your past faithfulness in our lives. It's a guarantee that you'll be faithful in our present too. We know that you love us and Lord, so we love you back and we commit our lives to you. And all God's people said, amen. The land of Canaan was full of walled cities and giants. God had given the children of Israel victory over the Amalekites and Moabites, but they would need to continue to trust God and live according to His terms that God would continue to prove Himself victorious. The same holds true for us. God's past faithfulness is a guarantee of His present and future faithfulness. He is sure to keep His word. We must hold fast to it and continue. Yes, there are giants. Yes, there are walled cities. All of these things God is more than able to take down and give us victory for His glory. If you have any spiritual or physical needs, please contact us. We would love to pray for you and assist you in any way we can. You can reach us at Calvary Chapel Orlando at 407-523-0800 during our office hours Tuesday through Friday, 9 a.m. to 4 p.m. This has been In the Word with Pastor Will, a ministry of Calvary Chapel Orlando. You can listen to all of Pastor Will's sermons and find other valuable resources online at www.calvarychapelorlando.com or on the Calvary Chapel Orlando app available on iTunes and Google Play. Thank you for joining us today. We will see you next time as we continue to learn, walk, and live in the Word.